Being diagnosed with cancer is tough. There are a lot of emotions you're going to have to deal with and nobody, nobody wants to be told they have to go through the treatments required to beat cancer. We know that early diagnosis for Australia's Indigenous communities is below average and that's dragging survival statistics down too. We also know that hospitals and cancer clinics are scary at the best of times, but there is help and hope available. And in this podcast, I'm going to introduce you to three Aboriginal health workers who are making a huge difference in their communities. Emma Lahane is Aboriginal Hospital Liaison Officer at the Ballarat Base Hospital. There's two of us in the team, so we would designate ourselves to a patient. So we'll go through the entire journey with them until they're no longer requiring hospital service. So from diagnosis all the way through to whatever the end result is. Sandy Anderson is a women's health nurse and practice nurse at the Ballarat and District Aboriginal Cooperative. And Anthony Harrison is also a practice nurse at BADAC. And he has a really personal reason for wanting to get involved in helping cancer patients. I come from the community. I'm part of the community and I work in the community. So it's good for myself and it's good for the clients because they're being treated by somebody who they know. And it's a good feeling to be able to help the community that you grew up in. My nan developed esophageal cancer from smoking a lot of cigarettes. Through that treatment, she had a tracheotomy and got rid of the cancer and went through a course of treatment. During that time, I would see some of the nurses there and we would often get talking and they would say that the nursing profession needs more male nurses. And I thought, why not? So eventually I became a male nurse and I'm eight years into my nursing career. So I've worked in the acute setting and I've worked in the community setting. It's good. Looking after Aboriginal people, being Aboriginal, I think it it gives me a different perspective of things. We know statistics for early diagnosis are much lower for Indigenous Australians. Those rates would look different for us because of our life expectancy, so they tend to present themselves a bit earlier. But the unfortunate bit is, though, that for most of our patients, they won't present till later stages of cancer. They'll avoid coming in and being treated or having it actually officially diagnosed, so they'll ignore it for too long, and then we get to those palliative stages. So that's a heartbreaking thing to have to work with the family, mm. knowing that it could have been prevented earlier rather than later. That is really yeah. tough. But that's, that's where some of your colleagues that are, are working in the health community are going gangbusters to try and get those earlier diagnoses. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're trying to put away the uh, superstitions that a lot of the community have about, you know, you only come into hospital to be born or to die. Uh, and we're trying to break down the barriers that have been previously in place for our community. Hospitals and cancer clinics are terrifying at the best of times. Auntie Kim puts it brilliantly. I get this sweaty feeling. feel like I'm sweating on the forehead net. Then I'll just sit there and think, well, I've got to get it done. I don't think I want to be like my brother. Sandy Anderson is a women's health nurse. One example might be that a client might be referred to a specialist and they may have an appointment time made and then they're not able to attend. And a lot of times that's not just about, well, I would say always, it's not just about being slack and going, I won't go because, you know, 
I don't want to bother. It's more about the complexities of what life can be like that people just need that extra support. It can be the stigma of past engagement with any health service, not necessarily the one they're referred to. It can be that there's family priorities that make that impossible, either because there's something going on in the family, there's been a death in the family, so there's grieving. You know, I work a lot with people that are 40 and older, specifically around the cancer prevention, and there may be things where that age group are caring primarily for their grandchildren. It can be a raft of things. It can be practicalities for getting there, so much, and fear. You know, I was just taking a client home after a screening yesterday, and she was saying, there's just so much cancer everywhere. And I think that's a community perception, and it's true. The the incidence and the pathway to treatment is slower for Indigenous clients, which is wrong, but it's something that we work to address the whole time. We're trying to encourage them to get out there, get diagnosed early. If you're feeling unwell or you've got some symptoms, go in and have a check with your GP. If it develops that you need to come up to the hospital, we've got the team there to support you. You'll never be alone. There's always someone there to help you and we'll help you every step of the way. There's one client that I can talk about their experience that might help you. This woman had her pap test and was diagnosed with cervical cancer as a result of the screening test coming through and then going and seeing the gynecologist and getting a a diagnosis. Now that woman needed to attend for radiotherapy after surgery and she had school-aged children and newly moved to the area with her partner, no family supports, no backup. And one of the things that I've seen with BADAC in action is that we brought together many departments and we went, right, what can we do to support this woman? And we actually, she had six weeks of five sessions of radiotherapy and because of the complexity, she couldn't have it here, it needed to be in Melbourne. So between the staff, we had childcare, kinder drop-offs, school drop-offs, food, you name it, and we got that woman and her family through the six weeks. So that's not something that happens every day, but it's something that I see that happens commonly with BADAC, and we do that in partnership with the agencies that we're connected with. One of our main roles is to attend appointments with them, and for everyone, regards of your cultural background, attending an appointment where you've been diagnosed with cancer, I don't think your brain actually takes in a lot of the information. All you're hearing is cancer, and then your next conclusion is death. That's generally what most people will do. So our role is to go in and support the patient in the meeting, listen to what the doctor is saying, reiterate it for them during that appointment, and also to talk with them afterwards and, and keep that going. Then if they need to have treatment, we meet them every time they're there for treatment, we sit with them, we chat with them, we try and take their mind off what's going on. We support their families as well, so we can conduct family meetings to help family understand. We give them information that's suitable to their literacy capabilities as well. So a lot of the stuff that's given to patients is just full of medical jargon. I don't think anyone really understands it. So we've actually gone through the process and there's a couple of other organisations that will actually simplify that jargon so that you can, you know, take it home, speak with your family. And we're on call then to be able to access and help with the family understand. Trying to actually process what 
you've been diagnosed with, then dealing with that on your own personal level, and then being given all this information to read through. I don't think the information, I mean, it's handy, but at the same time, nothing's going to prepare you for the experience that you'll have. Community elder Uncle Terence had an incredibly positive experience with his oncology team. The thing I really miss is not going every three weeks up to oncology and meeting the girls because you wouldn't meet another group of females. Just unbelievable. Yeah, I really miss going on the Monday up to see them. I like the idea that we're there to support a patient through and we can be a sounding board. So if they're having a really bad day, then they just vent to us and that's okay. If they're having a great day, then we share in that as well. You know, we're always there to provide a cuppa, you know, have a yarn. That's really important in our community and then also to support their family through the process too. Yeah, tell me about these family meetings because every practitioner now knows the importance of community and family no matter what your cultural background. But you have a really special role in bringing families on board for treatment. Yeah, that's right. So we know that we have a kinship structure in our families that means that we not only have biological family members but we also have community members who are classed as family as well. So we've got an extended support pool and we bring all those important family members in for meetings so that the patient only has to focus on them and getting better or receiving treatment and then the family all has a clear understanding of what the process will be and how the hospital can support them through that and then the family can also be given support in supporting the patient as well. So the family meetings come in, they get to meet with the oncologist They'll get to meet with the staff, other staff as well, the nursing staff, and then they're always free to come in and out while the patient's having treatment as well. And then they've got a pawn call with us as staff members to come to us and talk as well, away from the patient, because sometimes you don't want to talk about the seriousness of the issue in front of the patient, but they need to talk to someone. So we're there as well. We're sounding boards for them. Oh my goodness, you must get to know a lot of families in the yeah. district. To go into oncology and to get plugged in and see how many see real sick people and just have a look around and say, why am I here? Because I think they've got it wrong. And the whole session, the 10 sessions over 30 weeks, back to normal now, I think. The chemo finished six weeks ago last Monday. For any cancer patient, you know, having to explain and re-explain what you're going through mm. is exhausting and not very productive to your your well-being either. No, and I think the good thing is that the oncologist at Ballarat Health Services has taken on board that regardless of the cultural background, it's good that if you can have consistency in your care. So the same oncologist that you see, or at least two oncologists that you can see in that consistency, so you're not having to re-explain your situation all the time. Especially for our community, there are a lot of barriers accessing the health service. So if they have to see a different person every time, they'll end up just getting really fed up with it and not turn up and just become too scared to access the service. So that consistency for them. And then we provide that consistency and support as well. So it's really good. And how have the doctors responded to that? Have you managed to make that understanding to them they've been excellent yeah they've taken on board our head oncologist Stephen Brown is like a shining light he's like the mentor for everyone he is always willing to come and talk to our team in regards to patients make sure that we're involved and understand what's going on and so then the rest of the oncologists are all like okay we've got an aboriginal patient we need to contact the aboriginal health team we need to see if they need to be involved because it's not just a given 
a patient has to want to have us involved and if they do then the staff are just with us 100% and make sure that we're up to date with everything. Kim, I had uh, breast cancer, found the lump and followed on like that and I went up and got the um, screening, waited for a while, got a letter that I'd go back and that's when they told me I had cancer. You get it, you get it. How was going through that whole treatment for you? Pain in the bum, but I had to go and do it, do what I had to do. Because I've got grandkids out there, children out there, and if it wasn't for Sandy, I suppose I wouldn't have done it by myself. She just came with me, holding my hands up. Well, I didn't hold hands, but there with me. When the doctor and that told me, because um, I think it's about two weeks after my brother died of cancer. So that's what we did, we talked about that. Terence, well, proposedly I got prostate cancer, they tell me. Come to the clinic here and they had a locum and he said, oh, how long since you done a blood test? And I said, oh, I can't remember, so they did one. And then I come back to see Dr Collis and he never told me anything. He just said, I've made an appointment for you to see urology. Oh, okay. Still didn't drop the penny, so I went to see them and the bloke said, um, you've got two choices and I took the second one. The kinship might be a positive for people going through treatment because they realise that their role for their children and their grandchildren and the wider community was important enough to make them need to get better to do what it takes to fix it yeah well i mean those people that you spoke to are elders in our community we need our elders they're the knowledge bank and they're the leaders and if we don't have them then we will be lost totally and they are so important to us and they know that they are so important that it's good that that incites them to actually receive the treatment they know that they're pretty sacred to who we are and we need them here so yeah it's good kim also talked about just how tough it was to know that she had to go through the MRIs or the CT scans, go through the machine. Went through all the, uh, the machines and needles and all the dye and all that. I wouldn't wish it on any person to go through one machine, any woman, because I tell you, that hurt. I can only imagine how it would feel. I've seen those machines and think, goodness, you know, you have to be in there for a certain amount of time. If you're claustrophobic, that would be absolutely terrifying. And even if you're not, those machines are quite daunting to go through. Well, I was sweating a lot when I was going under those machines. Like, I just wanted them to stop, but I had to do it. You can't change it. You can't turn the clock back. No, you can't change nothing. So, no, they did everything they did for me. To know that there is someone out there for them, though, once they come out of the machine, helps alleviate that anxiety, to know that they've got that constant support, I think helps them through the journey too. So unfortunately for Aunty Kim, we weren't available. Our roles weren't there at that time. But she can see that what we do now is really important, that we can help other community members and yeah, assist their journey too. Practice nurse Anthony Harrison can explain the massive role BADAC has taken in trying to get cancer detected early. Aboriginal people feel safe at our clinic, so the community is happy to come in and have their checks and part of their checks we do things called health checks so we evaluate everything and we do GP management plans so anyone with a chronic condition we do management plans for so they 
they get the treatment that they need ongoing. So with other checks such as breast screen or any other check, we, we do that ongoing. So monthly we have a breast screen bus and the Aboriginal community is happy to attend anything that we do really because I know that we're culturally appropriate to their care. So we encourage people to come in and it's usually me on the end of the phone calling people and telling them they're due for this check or that check or they're due for their health check or whatever else. So it's a lot of encouragement and we're trying to pick people up constantly for whatever that they need. Women's health particularly is in the sights of the Aboriginal community. We identified that there was quite low numbers attending to breast screening, if at all. So what we did was provide them with cultural insight training. So that's part of my role to do that and spoke with them about ways in which the service could become more patient-centred in its approach and especially more culturally safe for Aboriginal women. And they were really open to that and on board. So now what happens is that Sandy will organise a day or an afternoon or morning, pretty much, for a group of women to travel up on the bus, the Badak bus, to breast screen. They have like a morning tea or afternoon tea. And the staff now allow them to have a support person come in with them and stand behind the screen with the radiographer while they're having their mammogram. Prior to that, though, they're allowed to come up for like an information session. So they're allowed to come up and see the machine, actually watch what it does, become familiar with the environment before actually having to just come in and have your breast screen. So that alleviated a lot of anxiety. So we've gone from maybe one or two a year to like, 27 going and attending some of those days so that's a really positive impact and we're seeing in the data now that there's been a great increase in attendance. If I say you got it go get the screen done if you don't well down the track you say you got it well then it's your fault for not going to get checked but I had all good nurses and doctors and everything so they've done the best. We're on the roll and Arnie Kim she's always a big advocate so she tells them to get their butts up there and get their breasts squished. <laughs> So we've got myself as the female Aboriginal Hospital Liaison Officer and we've got Andrew Green, who's the male, so he would be dealing with any men coming in with cancer. We just make sure that we are more culturally appropriate in gender-specific support. We don't have any skin cancers and it seems to be that our genetic makeup doesn't predispose us to skin cancer as much as everyone else, but we're still predisposed to all the other, like prostate, lung brain. At the moment we don't have a great deal in with cancer but we can see there will be an influx as the years go on. So uh, we deal across the board. Doesn't matter what cancer you've got, we're there for you. We don't discriminate obviously. If you need us we're there and we'll support you all the way through. Getting into the hospital is not always easy. No. So we can provide transport for patients. We can come out and get them, especially if they're having radiation which can be every day for so many weeks. We'll come out, grab you, bring you in see you through the process and take you home as soon as you want. Even if it's chemo, we'll do exactly the same. We're there to support you and bring your family in if you want your family with you as well. So, um, yeah, we offer transport. We offer a a space. At the moment, we've got a a little office that family can come and sit with us and talk while you're having treatment. For a lot of patients coming out the other end of treatment, you have been monitored really closely as you go through all your treatment checked up on all the time then it's like oh see you later we don't need you for another year now yeah and I think people get really lost in that process they're like oh hang on I've had you pretty much 24 7 and now I'm sort of cut loose to float free out there I think the difference in our service is that we continually touch base with our community members 
We will see them at community events and things like that anyway, but we always make sure that they know they can come back in and see us, and a lot still do, because they still need that support. Even though they may not need the medical intervention, they still need the psychosocial support through it. That's what we're there for. We're there to help them. So, yeah, we offer that as well. Might be nice if we offer that to everyone, wouldn't it? Well, for me, my sister around who lives around the next court to me, we're both going strong, strong women in our own ways. I think we sort of lean on each other sometimes, though I do all the joking around, but, yeah, all the bullshit, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, in the family. <laughs> so, yeah, we keep our strength up and we pull along. There we go. So if you are from the Aboriginal community, make contact. Tick the form if you're being admitted to hospital. Drop in to your local health service to get something worrying checked out. There are many hands waiting to catch you and help. Listen to Auntie Kim. That's right. And I think the concept of not wanting to know because of fear is a really challenging one. But I would strongly encourage people to come actually and talk to some of the staff, the doctors or the nurses at the clinic, and get a bit of a plan. There's always support. There's support through our engagement with Ballarat Health Services. And uh, we're just ready to help. And I think sometimes, particularly for women, we're really busy looking after everyone else. Sometimes it's hard to just put ourselves as a priority. And for men, I think it's just harder to come to a health service full stop. doesn't matter whether you're Indigenous or not. So strongly encourage you, connect in with an Anthony. You know, we've got a couple of great male doctors. Come and talk. And early action always has better results. So we're there to support you. Our health workers today were Emma Lahane, Aboriginal Liaison Officer with the Ballarat Base Hospital, Anthony Harrison, practice nurse at the Ballarat and District Aboriginal Cooperative, and Sandy Anderson, women's health nurse from BADAC. What did our cancer survivors have to say about asking for support or more information? Thinking of my husband with that one, when he was first told that he had prostate cancer, he didn't deal with it, he didn't like it, he wouldn't ask questions. No way, no, and I had to go with him and I had to ask questions Mm. to try and find out. Still didn't get a lot of answers. And I think with men, it's having to face up to the fact that, you know, they're not the big, strong person that everybody expects them to be. They have this picture in their mind of what they have to be and they can't accept that this is going on. I remember my husband saying to me once, I had nothing wrong with me until you told the doctor what was going on. Well, I took a long, hard look at myself and decided I'd have to do something about it. So when I got the all clear from the doctor, I told my wife I was going to go up to Cairns and see my son. He was in the Navy up there. And she said, do you want me to come with you? And I said, no. I said, we're going to ride my push bike. So I rode three and a half thousand kilometres up there to see my son. I was pretty uh, cured me depression by the time I got there. Never give up. I think it was really helpful that I could have my treatment so I didn't have to travel. It was very close. Like, I saw an oncologist that was local. I could have all of my treatment locally. And that just made it easier with kids being able to do it locally. 
every brochure when I was in every place that I went, I collected and I read them from back to front and I underlined and highlighted things so then I could just flick through if I didn't understand things. Well, I had a supermarket bag that I could hardly lift with all the information and it was very important to read it all. And if you didn't understand, ask your doctor, oncologist or radiologist because that is very important to understand what is going on. Our cancer survivors with their best advice for your cancer survivor journey. Oh, and I'm a cancer survivor too. I'm Penny Johnston and I really hope you find this cancer survivor guide helpful. Our partners are so important. We could not have accomplished the Cancer Survivor Guide podcast series without them. They are Grampian's Integrated Cancer Services and the Health Issues Centre Consumer Voices for Better Health Care.